Hello and welcome to another episode of Watch the Game presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host Sam Blazer and this week I am joined by managing editor of Mile High Hockey over at SB Nation, the Colorado Avalanche blog, Tom Hunter. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Now, I, this Avalanche team couldn't be any more surprising if it tried, I feel like. There's a lot of different uh, storylines that are happening, but I guess number one is... Uh, Nathan McKinnon, who's in the middle of the Hart uh, Trophy race right now and is injured. How, first off, let's talk about the injury. How long-term do they think it is, and how much is this going to affect the team overall? Um, well, Coach uh, Bednar was on the radio this morning, and he said day-to-day, um, but he also said day-to-day about Semyon Varlamov, who has now been at four an entire month, and might not return for another week as well. So it's one of those coach says day to day, but there's no real diagnosis. Um, the last report was that he's got a sore shoulder. Well, they're saying upper body injury. It's clearly a shoulder the way he was grabbing at it last night. And um, he's with the team in Edmonton today. He's not going to play tomorrow. Probably won't play on Saturday in Winnipeg, but um they're hopeful. It sounds like they're hopeful he'll play next Tuesday when they return home against uh, San Jose. That's good news for them. And would you say that overall, when they think about McKinnon and what he's done so far this year, a lot of people want to point to that and be like, all right, he is the team. He is exactly what's been happening here. And a lot of nights, you know, I, I follow you on Twitter, uh, follow me at Puck Don't Lie, of course, um, that you see that. He's the one scoring the goals. He's the one making it happen. How big of a co- contribution is, is he to the team? And do, is he such a loss that, like, sometimes that the, the that the team really like falters without him? Yeah, he's he is the team these days. Um, his line of he plays with um, Landis Gog and uh, Miko Rantanen ninety eight percent of the time. Um, and their line, I looked at it this morning, their line's responsible for 38% of the team's scoring. So, which is the highest in the league and, um, a pretty high gap. There are a couple, there are a couple lines that are up around 40%, but it's a pretty high gap for one line to score that larger percentage of your team's goals. Um, he is... When I say 98% of the time, the other 2% of the time, it's because he's being double shifted. Like last night when he, before he got hurt, he was playing on that top line, but was also playing on the fourth line um, a couple of shifts as well, just because him being out there double shifting is still better than the other options playing um, at 100%. So um, he is that important to the team. They're not... If he's out for any length of time, they have no shot of holding on to that playoff spot that they're fighting for right now. Uh, and so I, I want to move on from Nathan McKinnon, but I have one last question for you about him. And of course, we'll talk about the coach and the uh, overhaul and uh, the front office as well, because obviously these are big storylines. But with McKinnon, when you uh, are handicapping the uh, the heart race thus far, heart race, I, I, I of course misspoke there, a heart race. How could you say that it's not his to lose right now? Wouldn't, wouldn't you say so? Him and Kucherov, it seems like it's just a two-man race thus far, don't you think? Uh, I would say so. I would personally have him up there. The um, the list that came out of the voting, the mid-season voting last week, he was second. I honestly think that's a lot of East Coast bias when you look at that um, list. 
every single award winner played in the Eastern time zone. Um, and I think that speaks volumes because he is, he's second in scoring behind Kucherov, but he leads the league in primary points, um, as well as five on five points. Um, he's miles ahead of anybody else in the league from November on in terms of points. He's, I think Tavares was second and McKinnon's like nine or 10 up on him. This is from early November from the Matty Shane trade, which was about the 9th of November on until now he's got like a nine or 10 point lead on anybody else in the league. So I just think that he's, if Colorado gets anywhere near the playoffs, he's got to be the winner. Um, unfortunately they don't like voting for players on teams that don't make the playoffs. So if they fall back, like many expect them to, he'll probably end up second or third in voting just because Kucherov will be up there or Tavares or whoever um, is in the playoffs. And they'll, that'll likely be the tiebreaker for most voters. Yeah. And it's a shame because I, what McKinnon's been doing, I feel like can't be understated at all. And like I said, following you, I know all the time when McKinnon's having a great game because you're, you're, you're trumping that horn. And it's not, it's not me being like, Hey, Oh my gosh, you gotta stop tweeting about the guy, but it's more, more or less like, this is. I'm glad someone is trumpeting his cause, and I, and I think it needs to happen more often, especially in a lot of these West Coast cases. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I I make a point to um, just point out every time he adds to his lead in primary points or whatever it is, um, just because it's incredible to watch a player like this. Um, being in Toronto, I watch Austin Matthews on a nightly basis as well, and those kind of players are just they're special to watch. And if you like watching hockey, you should be watching these guys play because it's just incredible to see what they do on the ice and how much, how much they carry the play and just dominate other dominate the best players in the world. It's fantastic. And then I'm, I'm glad I was so surprised by them when uh, the team that I follow and write about the blue jackets played them when they were so stifling because before it didn't seem to be that ca- the case. And so I guess that's going to transition me to my next question. Jared Bednar obviously was the head coach of the uh, Blue Jackets AHL affiliate that went on to win the Calder Cup there. On his first season, he was kind of getting ravaged, but not, I wouldn't say by the media, but it seemed like in general people were disappointed with what he was doing. Uh, what do you think the differences are this year? Is it just that he's coached the same way and he has different players? Or is it just kind of a trust-the-process scenario similar to the 76ers in the NBA, just go with what's uh, you know what we've been doing and just make sure that we're uh, sticking to the system? Um, I think it's – I actually think it's both. Um, they do have an improved roster over last year. They're a lot younger. Um, a lot of the veterans are gone. They have – six rookies in the lineup on a regular basis, um, sometimes even more. And they, they're playing, they're buying into his system a lot better. Also part of it is he took over really late last off season. Um, Patrick Wall left the team. I think it was like late August and Bednar wasn't hired until September. So he was starting from behind the eight ball. He didn't have a whole off season to work with the management, work with his coaching staff. A full off season, his players getting more comfortable with him and an influx of young players that haven't played for another coach in the NHL. He he can mold them sort of in his system. They're learning a system. They're learning an NHL system for the first time and it happens to be his. So I think that ha- that helps a lot. And- 
you know, part of the Bednar, I wouldn't say circle, but it's kind of the, the front office. And I mean, obviously the extension of the coaching there is Joe Sackick and uh, Chris McFarlane and what they've been able to do there. There's a lot of criticism with how they were handling the Matt Duchesne uh, trade negotiations just because they thought they were holding out for too much. And then now, I mean, even with just a little bit of short-term hindsight, what they did was actually the right move. Uh, what do you make of the front office and what they've been able to do thus far? Uh, would you say that like their approval rating is at an all-time high, or is this just you know kind of the waves that a front office goes through? Um, I do think it's at an all-time high. I think... Um... You're right. He was Joe Sackick was getting crushed for through the off season. Um, more so outside of the market. There are a lot of Avalanche fans that didn't want either didn't want Duchesne to be traded or didn't necessarily buy the rumors that he had asked to be traded. Turns out it was accurate. They spoke to it after the trade, but um, at the time, the Sackick stuff was being driven a lot by out out of market things. Um, so when he pulled off the trade, he did from those that were doubting him and those that weren't doubting him, everybody jumped on board instantly. It was an incredible trade to get as many high end assets as he did for Matthew Shane. So I think now it's a wait and see how he plays out the rest of the year. One bad trade at the deadline, of course, and he's going to be crushed again. But, um, I think over the last 18 months since since Wall left, since his influence on the front office has gone, there have been very few missteps. There's only been the one major deal, no bad signings, no real trades other than the Duchesne one. So it's it's sort of a let him do what he's doing, and right now it seems like he he's on the right track. For sure. Uh, and I guess a question I have about the team overall as well as everyone knows this fr- first line now, Ranton and Landis Gog McKinnon, but a lot of times, you know, with checking the box scores, you're seeing different goal scorers on a night to night basis. Who would you say if, if, if you had a chance to put the players on uh, you know, a pedestal and give them the, some limelight, what's the player that's kind of been skating under the radar and needs a little bit of uh, uh, applause from uh, outside, uh, uh, I guess, media and outside fans. Um, in terms of offense, Alex Kerfoot, um, the rookie, he's an NCAA rookie, um, a New Jersey Devils draft pick who went to free agency this August. Um, he played for, he was the captain of Harvard last year, had a great four years in the NCAA. Um, he was signed as a restricted or as an unrestricted free agent this summer. And nobody really knew what to make of him. Um, Figured he'd make the team just because there wasn't a whole lot of talent around. And now he is, I think he's, he's fourth on the team in scoring behind the big three. Um, and for example, they last night when McKinnon got hurt, they instantly stuck Kerfoot into that top line center role with Rantanen and Landeskog. Um, and he's, He's got, I think, 36 points on the season now, somewhere in the mid-30s. And he's he should, in, in some years, he'd be up there with the Calder talk. But because Brock Besser and Matt Barzell have been so incredible, he's really got no shot at it. But he's been, he's been a bit of a revelation for people that um, don't necessarily, didn't necessarily know what, what, was, what they were getting when he came in from Harvard last year. 
he was a, um, also, he, he was a player. I like I kept looking at the uh, you know the league leaderboards in regards to scoring, and I kept seeing his name, and I kept going. I, I remember him barely. And when they and when I watched the team, I think I'm going to watch him two three times this year, and most of it you know through NHL Network or you know not entirely a full game. He never really stood out, but you know when you look at those kind of point numbers, I mean, sheesh, you can't really you know. Uh, you know, deride the guy or put anything against him, especially when he's doing it not, uh, outside of that big three as well. Mm-hmm, exactly. And he's, he can play both center and wing. He has been playing both center and wing. Um, the team has about six or seven centers in the lineup on any given night. So um, between Kerfoot, Jost, Comfort, who are all rookies, they're all centermen, but they're all, for a while, they're playing together on one line. Jost and Kerfoot take turns playing center and wing. Um, Kerfoot's been, he drives the play on whatever line he's on. Um, he's almost, he plays a lot like Mitch Marner, a lot less, fla- a little less flashy, but he's got the same flash to him. He's He plays the same style of play where he drives the possession on that line. He plays on the power play. He wants to puck on his stick and he wants to create offense for whether it's for him or for his line mates, he's, he's the catalyst on every shift he's on um, in terms of driving the offense. What a find by the avalanche there. Now I, I got to ask you, especially with where they're placed right now, this will be, I guess this would be a two part, but I'll ask this part first. Would you consider them a buyer or a seller at the deadline this year, which is like somehow quickly approaching after it seems like training camp was just only like a, <laughs> like a week or so ago. Yeah. He's, I, I honestly, it's hard to tell. You think they'd be sellers. Um, honestly, if I had to put money on it, I'd say they stand pat. Don't really do anything. Um, unless of course they've lost three straight now. So if, and if McKinnon misses a bunch of games, they have another 10, 11 games before the deadline. So they could drop out of it by then, or they could go on another winning streak and be right in there on. Cause they're one point out of the playoffs. Now they could be in a wildcard spot again. So Honestly, I think it's too hard to tell right now. Um, if I were Joe Sackick, I'd still sell off. They're a year ahead of where anybody expected them to be right now, um, given how bad they were last year. And if I were him, I'd sell off the guys like like Blake Como is a perfect example. He's a veteran, plays on the pe- penalty kill, um, checking line role. He's got 21 points on the season. He's the exact type of veteran that that general managers overpay for at the deadline. And he's a free agent at the end of the year. If you can get a second or third round pick for Blake Como, you do that in a second. Um, So I kind of think they're somewhere in the middle. They'll listen to offers. And if, if something for a guy like him or Mark Barbario, a depth guy comes along, I'm sure they'd move them um, to create more, more spots for youth in the lineup. Interesting, interesting, especially considering like where they are. And it's always tough when a team is contending like this and they're a surprise where it's like, you know, in the long term, I think it would be better if the sell-off happens. But in the short uh, in the short term where the fans are excited about the team and are wanting to see more progress, of course, they're going to end up wanting to see them, you know, hopefully be a little bit of a buyer. So they're t- caught in that awkward scenario. So I guess I have to ask you this. If they do end up being a buyer, would what where would where's the weakness on the team? Where, where do they need to shore up if they do uh, end up going that route? Um, defense, for sure. Um, they have, I'd say they, their second pairing 
should be a third pairing. Mm-hmm. And their third pairing should be a press box slash AHL type thing. Um, they've got Nikita Zadorov is having a breakout season for them um, after holding out until training camp for a new contract. Him along with uh, Eric Johnson, they've been they've been great as a top pairing. Eric Johnson's playing like a legitimate number one defenseman. What they thought they were getting when they traded from for him from St. Louis, he's up among the league leaders in time on ice, but he plays so much. He's averaging almost 25 minutes a game. You, you can't expect to go anywhere and rely on your top guy to carry to play penalty kill, power play, lead the team in five on five ice time, um, and then your next pairing is built around a 19-year-old raw rookie in Sam Girard. It just, if they want to go somewhere, if they want to make the playoffs and continue to be competitive, they need another defenseman to fill in the second pair, third pair, eat some minutes, take, take a little bit of the burden off of the big pair. Um, that would be the number one goal. That and scoring wingers probably would be the other option. Now, you bring up the defense as a possible weakness, possible area for them to shore up. But for whatever reason, and this could be, you know, media manufactured, but Tyson Berry seems to keep being a name that gets brought up as possible trade bait. Do you think that there's like legitimate noise to that? Or is this something where it's kind of uh, wishful thinking for some Canadian cities hoping that he'll uh, end up joining their squad? I think it's I think that's more what it is. I think I know teams have been calling about him. Um this past summer, there were a couple teams that put on a big push for him. Um, the Leafs were calling in the summer. That's not something that's just put the Leafs into a trade rumor and it'll get hits sort of thing. Um, they legitimately wanted a right-handed defenseman, and Tyson Berry was one of the options they were calling about. There are a couple other teams that were calling about him, and I think that's what it is now. It's that Joe Sackick isn't shopping him. There, but there are teams calling about him, say, trying to figure out a way to get him out of Colorado because, well, he came back yesterday. It was his first game back after missing two weeks, three weeks um, with a broken hand. And um, my bet is just that Sackick would like to hold on to him because when he was out of the lineup, they were playing five left defensemen and Eric Johnson. So without him, it's a very lopsided right versus left. Even with him in the lineup, they still have four left defensemen. Um, so it, if something came along where somebody offered them something silly, I could see it happening. But I doubt he gets moved, at least not during this season. For sure. And I, that, that makes sense, uh, at least from like the way that they're currently constructed and everything else that's been ha- happening and taking place. Now, I have to ask you about one player that is always out there, and it always seems to make headlines no matter what. And it's Nail Yakupov and what he's been yeah. able to do this season. What do you make of his long-term future with the team, and if there is one at all, and uh, and how he's performed? Um, he's he's been Nail Yakupov, I guess. He's he'll go a couple of games where he'll score two, three straight games, and then disappear for another handful of games. Like he he's exciting. He's an exciting player to watch. Whether it's him scoring or like last night he was get getting in getting in the face of the defenseman on uh, Vancouver like he's he's been feistier it seems this year maybe it's because he knows 
this is probably his last chance if he doesn't play well this season, um, mm-hmm. being on his third team. But um, he's Coach Bednar doesn't necessarily want to rely on him. He's been in the press box a few times. He's played on the fourth line a bunch. Um, he's a good depth scorer that when he doesn't, when he's not scoring, doesn't contribute a whole lot. So I could see him, I could see them taking another flyer on him next season. He's a restricted free agent at the end of the year. He's still only, what is he? He's like 22 or 23. So I could see him, them giving him another one year deal. Like go show us, you can be a good depth player. Um, but he's not, if they don't re-sign him, it's not like it's going to make a huge impact on the lineup. It'll it'll hurt, I think, the fan base who have embraced Yakupov. He's his face is all over their broadcast. Um, whenever they're interviewing someone off the ice, away from the ice, there are always features on him, just going out for sushi, things like that. Like <laughs> they love him, and it, it's his personality. He's got an infectious personality. He just doesn't necessarily contribute enough on the ice to worry about him being being an impact long term on a team that has so much young talent coming up they're the youngest team in the league and it's if it's either him or one of the other younger guys they'll just let him go that makes sense i mean why why would they you know keep him on if they have those other people pushing and obviously with uh, how much youth is in the organization right now it makes uh, an awful lot of sense now before I let you go, Tom, I got one last question to ask you, and it's kind of more uh, procedurally uh, is, is more the question about that. So I know that you're a big Maple Leafs fan, but how did you get to be uh, the managing editor for Mile High Hockey, and what do you think of it overall coaching – or not coaching, obviously editing for uh, you know another team website? It's, a, it's an interesting situation. I've, I've done part of it before uh, over at the Wings Nation, and I always thought that was interesting because it – feels like your objective opinions are uh, you know sometimes get skewed as you're a hater do you, do you think it's more beneficial for your writing and what you've been doing overall or is this something that um, you know is just kind of more in the short term well I when I you're right I'm a Leaf fan first first and foremost um, I have grown up in a household with a Colorado Avalanche fan my younger brother he's three years younger than me he grew up Joe Sackick fan Forsberg fan like he I had the avalanche around me so they weren't I wasn't a fan but I had them in my household um to the point where it got annoying because they were winning and the Leafs sucked so I had a little brother that was pestering me about it but then uh in the offseason when the opportunity came up there were a few different options and I thought um like a few different team options with the SB Nation and I thought that the Avalanche would be a good team they were an interesting team like they were historically the worst team of the era last season Mm -hmm. so there was literally nowhere to go but up and a lot of change coming um so that opportunity really did appeal to me in terms of having a team to write about that's going to be interesting they're not a middle of the pack team or a team that I actively had cheered against like say Buffalo Sabres or something as a Leaf fan. Like it's, they're a team that they're Western conference team, a team I've had in my life for decades and just nowhere, nowhere better than to start from the bottom writing about this team. And you're right. Just being objective and not just the fact that when I mentioned I'm from Toronto, automatically there are people that hate on it because that's just no matter what I could say that 
the Avalanche are the greatest team in the history of the world and whatever. I'm from Toronto, so I don't, I, I'm biased against them, <laughs> which is just, it was just funny when I first, when it first started. But um, I think my objectivity is helping. There are big time diehard Avalanche fans on the staff. There are a couple other staff writers that aren't necessarily Avalanche fans. that just are hockey fans that like to write about the Avalanche. So I think it's a good balance, um, especially when you consider that you're not necessarily supposed to be a fan when you write about a team. Most people are, and you do cheer for the team watching them all the time. Like I found myself cheering for them because I'm watching every single Avalanche game. But um, I don't know. I think I think that bringing an ob- objectivity to it does help quite a bit. For sure. And uh, when I was doing stuff for the Wings Nation, uh, you know, people found out that I was from Ohio or I had tweeted something about Ohio State. And I know you're a Notre Dame fan. So I people, am. of course, were getting on my tail about uh, commenting about Ohio State every once in a while. They're like, I've, you know, I followed your Twitter account so I could see stuff about the, the Red Wings. And I was like, oh, well, that's not the only thing I'm interested in, which I think is yeah. another thing that blows a lot of people's minds is that you can follow multiple teams at once, which seems to be more of a an NBA occurrence than it is an NHL occurrence. Yeah, for sure. That's something that I, I noticed when I did start taking over. It It seemed foreign to a lot of people that, being the fan of one team, I still watch many teams and I'm a follower of the league. I'm not a follower of the Leafs. I'm, I live in Toronto, so I grew up a Leaf fan, but I follow the NHL. I follow Mm -hmm. the OHL just as much as I do the NHL. Like I watch, if you ask my wife, I watch too much hockey. (laughs) Um, It's just, uh, it's it's possible to follow multiple teams and just because you grow up a fan of one team doesn't mean you can't watch and follow and cheer for other teams as well um exactly like you've learned being from ohio that couldn't have gone over well with people in (laughs) michigan (laughs) not at all not at all now tom before i let you go i want to give you an opportunity of where we can find you on twitter where we can find your writing and anything else you want to plug before you go um, well, I, I'm, uh, at puck don't lie on Twitter. Um, you find my writing at milehighhockey.com. We, um, we're also at milehighhockey on Twitter. Um, a lot of good, a lot of good writers there. Um, junior, we, we follow a lot of their prospects as well. Um, as well as you can find me on other raw charge, the Tampa Bay lightning, website as well um i do a little bit for them too so um yeah that would be about it um and the bloggers tribune right you're still doing that yeah no i don't write so much there anymore that was our site last year or for the last little while there is still good content going up there um avery wrote a great piece about willie o'ree there recently um yeah bloggers tribune.com um is just a place where bloggers can write about not necessarily the teams they're writing about for their fan sites. They can write personal pieces. They can write for other teams. We have some basketball stuff going up there as well. Um, so that's, yeah, a great resource. Um, you can find at bloggers tribune as well on Twitter. As you can see, Tom's got a lot of irons in the fire and I, I appreciate you coming on today. 
And uh, before I let our uh, listeners go, you can follow uh, me at Sam underscore Blazer. You can follow the Twitter account at NHL Numbers. Uh, rate, comment, and subscribe uh, on our iTunes page. Um, we're hoping to have everything back up on the website, but as they're doing remodeling over there and trying to fix the site a little bit, it seems like a lot of it's going to only be going through the iTunes. So make sure to stick around and uh, keep listening through that. But like I said, Tom, I appreciate you coming on today and uh, talking with me about the Avalanche. And uh, when, they, when they make the playoffs, I'll make sure to have you back on again so we can uh, do a little preview there. For sure. Thank you for having me.